deep center. Brinson back at the wall. Gone. Was that ambush from the eight hole? Victor Caratini with his first major league home run and the Cubs lead again. Welcome back to 108 Bricks Podcast, a Chicago Cubs podcast brought to you by two great Cubs fans here. You Dylan almost Buckwhites. thought you were going to say like a sponsor there? No. If you want to sponsor us, that'd be great. We, oh, could, get, I mean, we yeah. could get some money for this. That you would be could. nice. Yeah, I mean, it's brought to you by Dunkin' I just heard, Donuts Yeah, that would have been great. You know, something like that. Uh, but no, two Cubs fans, Curtis Coke, Dylan Buckwhites. Uh, we are two big Cubs fans that not only have a big passion for the team, but we consider ourselves pretty knowledgeable when it comes to the sort of stuff that's surrounding the team and different aspects of it's totally the organization. Opinion, yeah, it part. is personal <laughs> opinion, but I, I think that, you know, com- us compared to a lot of other fans out there, I mean, not just, we, not we, with just Cubs We baseball. know more than you, no, but, no, we, but just, we consider ourselves pretty knowledgeable in the Cubs. We both look Well, yeah, but I wasn't even going to say not just the Cubs, but I think baseball in general, we're both just big baseball fans as a whole. Um, but with that being said, uh, you heard that highlight there. That was Victor Carantini hitting that home run, giving the Cubs the lead in Milwaukee, which they took two of three over the last couple of weeks. And uh, it was a really good series up there. Uh, if you would have told me that the Cubs would have won that series scoring five runs, I would have said you're insane. Well, if you would have told me the Cubs would be in first place, two weeks after the All-Star break let out, I would have also called you insane. But if you look at the standings now, the Cubs currently stand two and a half games up over the Milwaukee Brewers in the Central, which I believe on our on our last episode, they were about three games behind still. Yeah, they were just kind of starting to creep up there. Um, and then this, the last time when we recorded two, they made that trade for Jose Quintana. Um, but as we're recording this, it's after the trade deadline. As you guys are hearing this, it's about a week after the trade deadline. Um, so there are a couple of moves that the Cubs did. Um, the biggest in particular was obviously the Jose Quintana deal, um, which came before the or actually during the All-Star break, rather, excuse me. And then the, the next trade they made, they got a good reliever in Justin Wilson, who was a, a former, uh, not only just a former Detroit Tiger, but he's also a former Yankee and a former uh, Pirate a reliever. He was actually Detroit's closer um, for the most part of this season, and adding him to the back end of the bullpen not only gives the Cubs a really good uh, one-two punch with Wade Davis, but it also gives the Cubs another option um, on the left-handed side, throwing-wise, besides Mike Montgomery. Um, But they also acquired backup catcher uh, Alex Avila, who's been having a pretty good season with Detroit as well. And one thing that I thought about when, (laughs) well, I heard that they got Avila his dad, Alex Avila's dad, is the general manager for the Tigers. He traded away his son. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't Goodbye, know. Goodbye, son. Yeah. You're no longer playing for my team. Well, I'm I mean, sorry. He, he released him when the Sox signed him. Yeah. Um. So, how, how does that, like, household go? I, I bet you, though, his son is excited to join the Cubs versus I was going to say, there definitely has to be a business and a personal relationship. There, ha- there definitely has to be a line drawn in that situation there. You can't really make your personal matters. Yeah, but it wouldn't matters. surprise me if those lines crisscrossed. You know, at the family oh, dinner, sure at the family table at Thanksgiving while, or whatever. I'm sure from one side or the other, you can't take anything personally. Business is business. Oh, of course. You just got to accept it and move forward from there. But I, I, for one, really enjoy the trades the Cubs made at the deadline. One, picking up 
Quintana, and then two most recently with this trade with Detroit. And I like it a lot just for two reasons. One, mostly the pickup of Alex Avila now means the Cubs can send down Carantini back to AAA Iowa. Now, while some people may think it's a bad thing that you're sending down a player who could be possibly getting more at-bats, I like it for the fact that he's going to be getting more at-bats and more playing time down in AAA, which is what he needs for development as a player. Now, the only reason he was called up was for the fact that Mikel Montero decided to open his mouth and they were in desperate need of a backup catcher and he was the available option. He's still a developing player, um, which is why you didn't see him get much playing time. The only reason he was at first base the other day in that game against the Brewers was because Rizzo was out with a sore back. And he wasn't getting much playtime. He was spending a lot of time on the bench. He got a few pinch hit at bats here and there. Yeah. But he really was not doing much. And so he spent about a month, I think, with the club. And he wasn't really getting much for it. And for from a prospect perspective, you want that guy getting more at bats, getting more playing time, getting mm-hmm. more time in the field. And now that we have a solid backup catcher in Avila, he's going to be able to be sent back down to AAA Iowa. And he's going to be able to do that because really... As of now, he's still the future catcher of the Cubs behind Wilson Contreras, who's proven himself yeah. to be a major and league. Those two hitter. at some point in time will be a really good one two catcher situation that they'll have there um in for the future. But the other thing too that I liked about this deal was the fact that they didn't give up or actually not even just this deal, but in throughout this whole season you so just far. Stole my second point. What they didn't trade anybody they didn't off, trade the yeah. off the major, yeah. See, I, we're on the same page. It works out this way, but yeah, no, they didn't trade anybody off the major league roster. Um, I was talking to a couple of people that um, that are pretty good friends with. Actually, one of us, one of them, uh, Cheryl raced out is a good friend of ours, uh, Dylan, and uh, she was telling me that they were offering, or other teams were offering, um, or wanting a positional player off the Cubs, um, such as uh, Albert Amora, Ian Happ or Javi Baez um, in deals for, like, Sony Gray or another top-of-the-line starter like Justin Verlander or that sort of thing. And the Cubs decided, no, you know, that's not really a priority. We'll just stick with what we have. We have a good rotation as of right now, and uh, we'll ride it out. And they did need some bullpen help, and obviously the backup catcher is a, a big thing. But... Well, I'm gonna, I, I don't know if they needed bullpen help. I think they needed left-handed bullpen help. Okay, yeah, that's, the, the, that's fair. The... The lefties in the Cubs bullpen was very limited, and I guess, especially I guess by help I mean, I guess I mean more depth yes. is probably a better word that's, there. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a better word to use there because they they were the Cubs bullpen has really stepped up recently, and as much criticism criticism as they get, especially in that time when they blew the game uh, late in the innings, I think it was around the it was that crazy for some reason that Cubs Cardinal series every eighth inning that yeah. came around was a wild one. It was like an eight run seventh inning or yeah, whatever it was. The, yeah, that's, that's pretty much nine the run, last time we had seen the the bullpen implode from the Cubs. But other than that, they've been lights out virtually. And so getting another lefty they can bring in, it takes a lot of pressure off of Mike Montgomery there, who had been getting a lot of innings. It does, yeah, as one of their most solid lefty relievers. As well as it just adds more depth. They have another weapon now in their already powerful uh, bullpen, and now we don't. Lo- we also don't lose anyone on the side of our major league roster. As you mentioned, there was names going around. Hap was probably asked for in a lot of different offers that the Cubs are going after. Uh, Schwarber possibly could have came up in a lot of other offers, and I think they would have been f- a little fine with parting with Schwarber possibly, or maybe parting yeah. with like a Baez. 
but I know they didn't want to part with Ian Happ. And so the deal they got for both uh, Avila and Wilson is probably the best possible deal they can get for strengthening themselves. It's now they just have one of the worst farm systems in all of baseball now. <laughs> well, but you know what, though? With the way that they've drafted and developed players in the past, they'll get that farm system replenished in no time. And and honestly, depending upon what happens the next few years with these guys, if a hobby bias doesn't really pan out or if he becomes just an average player, they could try to flip a couple of those guys to get some prospects in return just to replenish the farm system. But outside of that, though, I, I really got to praise Theo and Jed here for um, getting ahead of the market. Um, back in during the All-Star break when they acquired Jose Quintana, that was the the first big trade um, before the trade deadline even occurred. And that was a great way for the Cubs to go in and get what they needed really badly, which was the starting rotation depth. And they got that with Jose Quintana. And not only on top of that, they had to give up pieces of the farm, which they gave up in Dylan Cease and um, Eloy Jimenez, which both I think will be really good players for the White Sox um, down the road. But also, um, when you look at that deal compared to um, how a lot of teams yesterday were in crunch mode to time to or to try to get their guy. We saw the Yankees give up three prospects for Sony Gray. We saw the Dodgers give up three prospects for you, Darvish. Um, Theo and Jed were ahead of the curve, and when you really look at the other two players that were included in that deal outside of Valoy and Dylan, um, they only had to give up two top prospects, really, because those two other guys, as of right now, aren't really panning out to be a, a good top prospect for them or top prospects for them. Um, but with that being said, they have the opportunity now to go in and uh, with a full set roster right now and hopefully make another push for the playoffs. And Theo and Jed were ahead of the curve and getting their guy, and they got the guy that they thought was going to be the most consistent for them down the road, which Cozy Katana has been. And on top of that, they didn't really give – I mean, they had to pay for it, but – not to the extent of stress crunch time like the Dodgers or maybe the Yankees would have done in giving up for Sony Gray and you Darvish. Well, it's also interesting, too, because I think a lot of those moves that were made by the Cubs, especially this one in with the acquisition of Avila and Wilson, were highly influenced on how the Cubs have been playing post-All-Star break. Yeah. As of now, they they came out the gates rolling, and they have, shy, they have shown... No signs of stopping with a 13-3 and record after the break. They've reclaimed the top spot in the NL Central, and they're also gaining headway on that potential wild card spot, seeing as the Rockies and the Diamondbacks have fallen off and slowed down a little bit. The Dodgers are just completely running away with that division yeah. right now. And I think they're only three or four games now behind that wild card spot while holding the NL Central. So the playoff perspective now gets a lot better for this team, which is why I think Theo and Jed may, uh, went out and made those deals. Can, the Quintana deal made sense because we knew we needed that quote-unquote three guy to sort of round out the lineup with potential uh, arms leaving our rotation after yeah. this season, and that was a good deal to lock down. But I think this move that they made now definitely solidifies their we're going to be looking to make another postseason run this year with these accusations or acqui- acquisitions. Jeez. And, I, and I look at these guys that they got in return, maybe with, with the exception of Alex Avila, but let's just look at the two lefty pitchers, Quintana and Wilson. Um, both those two guys, you can make the debate, are or were, rather, some of the best um, 
options at their position out there on the trade market. Wilson was one of the guys that was regarded. There was a lot of guys looking for closers. Yeah, too, and so. since the Orioles didn't deal Zach Britton, uh, which they could have gotten a haul possibly on return, same thing if they decided to move any of the other pieces, but they didn't. They somehow ended up kind of being buyers, which was strange to me. Um, but they they stuck with what they had, and it ended up working out for them in the long run. Uh, well, I mean, for the fact that they keep Zach Britton, but for the Cubs' sake, it works out for them in the long run because you could make the argument that they got the best left-handed reliever on the market and they got the best left-handed starter on the market. Well, really one of the top starting pitchers on the market, to say the oh, least, yeah. which worked out in the Cubs' favor tremendously. So now they go into the postseason with a revamped rotation, a revamped bullpen, um, depth behind the plate. They can get their top their prospect, Carantini, down to start his development or continue his development, rather, get his at-bats and so on. That's going to work out really, really well for them. Now it just comes down to making sure they complete the rest of their schedule and winning and continue winning series. They're off to a 13-3 and start after the All-Star break, and they need to keep that up because it seems like Milwaukee's slowing down a little bit. They've lost a few games that to teams they really should not have lost to. Oh, yeah. As well as giving up that first place, uh, first place spot in the Central. And looking at the Cubs' schedule ahead, this is actually, they're in town right now. We're recording this on Tuesday, August 1st. So the Arizona Diamondbacks are in town. So we got three games with the Diamondbacks. One of those games is going to be against Granky, so that one's going to be a tough one. And then the Nationals come in, and that's going to be another hot team in the Central that's going to be a good battle and another, I'd say, a good test because so far the Cubs haven't really faced that quote-unquote strong of opponents post-break. They had the struggling Orioles right off the break, and they swept that series. The Braves hadn't been looking too good. The Cardinals are under five hundred. Obviously, the White Sox are rebuilding. Yeah. And they played a lot of really close games with the Brewers, who had been on a downswing. So now we have... Um, two teams that are really looking good with the Diamondbacks and the Nationals. The Diamondbacks is going to be a big series just because even though we have control of the Central, we can still gain on that wild card spot and just sort of close the ground on that. The other thing, too, is that depending upon how the Diamondbacks um, play the rest of the season, they're in contention for a wild card spot. Um, The Rockies are also in contention for a wild card spot. Those two teams in the West seemingly could end up playing each other be, yeah, in the wild card. Entire West. And if you ask me on paper, I like the Diamondbacks more than the Rockies. Um, the Rockies have a great offense and everything, but the Diamondbacks have the rotation. They seemingly have everything kind of going for them right and now. And that's a potential first-round matchup right there for the Cubs. Well, if they take the Central, they may be... If, if the Cubs have, win if, the Central and the Diamondbacks well, win the wild card game... If they, it's going to be difficult to catch the Dodgers, but... That it's also a potential first round matchup to get that wild card team. Well, yeah, and the Cubs would play the wild card winner, and the Dodgers would play the Nationals, um, which would end up working. I mean, in the Cubs' favor, I, I guess, in a way, because it would be a rematch of last year's NLDS between those uh, between those two clubs, the Nationals and the Dodgers, or yeah, the Nationals and the Dodgers, and then uh, the Cubs would face most likely the the Diamondbacks. Um, and assuming Zach Greinke is used in that wild card game, they probably would face uh, Patrick Corbin or somebody um, in the uh, rotation uh, this coming series, which would work out, I think, as well for them, that they have a chance to really make a push to try to get past a, a team. And this is going to be a good test it's, for them to see how they match up with the Diamondbacks, who could be that NLDS yeah, it's a lot matchup. Of, it's a lot of potential first-round matchups. I think Washington probably more than the Diamondbacks because seeing as how the Dodgers are sort of 
they're, what are they now, 20 games, 30 games above 500 yeah, at this point? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And just running away with the, the entire National League. The Nationals are sitting in first place, and with the Cubs being in first place in the Central, that would be their first-round matchup if the playoffs were to start right now, which they aren't. So there's a, still a lot of baseball to be played, but a lot of good teams coming up for the Cubs. But we're going to talk more, a little more about trade since we're still in the trading season but instead, we're going to be looking back at some of the Cubs' best and worst trades of all time here on the 108 Bricks podcast. San Diego welcomes this 21-year-old phenom. First major league at bat. Hits that one deep to left center field. A long run for Ann Keel. That ball is off the wall. Bounces back and on his way for three is the kid Rizzo. And he is in there. Oh, my. deadline coming to a close me and curtis just shared our thoughts on the cubs moves in the most recent trade dealings that they did but we're going to be taking a look back though since we're in the theme of trading season right now at some of the cubs best and worst trades of all time yeah and if you want to get involved with our podcast and email us your best and worst uh trades of all time or if you have any um, later on in the show, we have our segments where we did last week uh, our overachievers and underachieving players and groups of players, we'll have whatever. That coming up later today yeah, we'll too. have that coming up in just a bit. Um, but if you want to get involved, you can email us on our Gmail account and you can reach us, email us whatever you want, questions, anything like that. Uh, the email address is 108 bricks podcast at gmail.com. 108 bricks, B R I C K S podcast at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you see what you guys have to say and what you guys are thinking about uh, when it comes to the cubs and uh the best and worst trades of all time well curtis i think we'll start with you okay we'll, we'll do the good news we'll do the good news first you share your best i'll follow up with mine what do you think was or what is your favorite cubs trade or best trade of all time there's a lot um there's a couple that uh, have really stuck out to me um the one that sticks out to me the most, though, um, was when they traded for uh, Jake Arrieta. Um, obviously, this is this is a guy. When you look at when they acquired Arrieta, um, obviously needed a, a fresh start and a new organization. And the work with Chris Basio, they also, I, I believe, got Pedro Strope in that deal. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, he was also included in that. So deal. they got two guys there. Both were core pieces of this team, not only now, but Arrieta statistically had one of the best halves in baseball history in 2015. And he and John Lester were were relied on a lot in 2015 in that postseason run. Um, Kyle Hendricks wasn't really quite into the form that we've known him over the last uh, year and a half or so. Um, And then obviously when they added John Lackey and uh, Jason Hamill, um, both those guys were helped solidify the rotation as well, but they relied on Arietta and Lackey a lot. And you could see it from the start when Arietta was starting to pitch back with the Cubs and how he was progressing. This guy got more and more fun to watch as time went on. Um, and when they signed John Lester, you can make the the argument that um, Arietta was the best number two starter in all of baseball. Not, of course, this is fair to say in hindsight, but heading into the season, Arietta was regarded as a really good um, starting pitcher. And then, of course, 
Jason Hamill was your number three rotate uh, guy in the rotation, and then you had Hendricks, and then you had um, guys uh, such as uh, Trevor Cahill that were up there. Travis Wood was another guy. Uh, several different positional player or pitchers rather that were there for the option. But Arietta had one of the best seasons um, and still is going to earn a big paycheck coming this off season. Um, but I think that. That was arguably one of the best trades uh, for me. What's yours, Dylan? So my best trade, and it's funny because we both go with Theo trades here. Nice, because okay. To be fair, Theo's made some of the best trades, and it's easy to look back on those just because of a lot of those trades led to an eventual oh, yeah. World Series. Uh, you picked Jake Arrieta, and I picked Anthony Rizzo. Mm-hmm. This was a deal with the San Diego Padres sending Andrew Kashner over to the Padres for Anthony Rizzo. I think there was other a few uh, there was a few other minor leaguers involved in that deal, but the big two was Andrew Kashner for Rizzo. And Kashner had actually been performing pretty well for the Cubs during that. He was on a bit of a downswing, but what I find interesting the most out of this trade was he that he was a jerk when he left. Yes, he was not friendly. He was such So, not can we, only can did we, we get... swear on this, is that all right? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, he was such an asshole. Huge <laughs> dick. Oh man, he was a, a he. I'm glad he hasn't had like the success he had when he was back. Well, yeah, the us. most. Uh, yeah, so not only was he a jerk, and we got rid of a, a guy who probably wasn't too good for the clubhouse at that time, but we also picked up Anthony Rizzo. And what I find most interesting about this trade is Rizzo was someone that Jason McLeod and Theo had been. They'd been following him since he they drafted him. Actually, he was drafted to the Red Sox when they were still part of that organization. And he was, he was part of the he Adrian was highly Ga- talked. Well, yeah, but he was part of the Adrian Gonzalez trade to San Diego when Boston got Adrian Gonzalez. Yes, and then uh, a few years later, when Jed was the GM, uh, or actually they acquired uh, Adrian when uh, Rizzo was in uh, Boston, when Jed was the GM in San Diego, and then turn around hindsight, Jed's working for the Cubs, and, and they reacquire him. him yeah, and it was interesting too because Rizzo had actually spent some time in the majors when he was with the Padres, and he didn't do that well. Um, he was striking out a lot, and there was there was seems to be some evident problems with his swing at the time. And then he got acquired by the Cubs. They actually he was back down in AAA, and when he got reacquired by the Cubs, he was tearing it up. I think he had around a three twenty three average. Down in AAA the last year he was with the Padres organization. Yeah, and everybody was on the Rizzo watch waiting to see when he would come up and start Yeah, and he actually came up with the Cubs and got sent back down. He had a few at-bats. I remember he got called up and struck out in his first at-bat for the Cubs. Yeah. Um, And he had a a decent first stint, but then he got sent back to AAA for a few, I think it was around a month or so, and then came back up. And now we see him today as a – it's funny to think of Rizzo as a veteran because he's such a young guy, but he's actually been – with that major league club, he's the for captain around. of that team. Yeah, he's with. He's been with the the team. He's like one of the longest standing Cubs right now with the team and being in the majors for I think three or four years now. Um, and I just think acquiring a guy like that and just the whole process of how he started with Boston, then yeah. with San Diego, all within that same uh, managerial organization in that yeah. process there, those guys must have seen something in him and it paid off because we have a leader at first base and half of the Brizzo combination that we see. And it's more of like, the, it's it's another one of those trust the process type of things. If, you're, yeah. if you have a GM that's able to f- get the same guy on three different organizations, he must have really seen something in him. And so the process of making not well, one... Well, and the scouts he, too. And not, yeah, and the scouts and then making the process of not one but multiple trades to like move that guy to wherever you're at <laughs> is just pretty unbelievable in my opinion. Yeah. Um, 
I guess we could go to the worst now. That's, now that we've there's a lot the, of pretty bad. The ones. best. I was look, I was um, doing some research. Yours is interesting to me. Why don't you go ahead and do your so, worst? So yeah, I went I went way back in time. Well, yeah, I I um I went all the way back to uh, 1987, which is when the Cubs got rid of closer Lee Smith for the Red Sox. To, they sent him over to the Red Sox for Al Nipper and Calvin um, Scholar. That's such remember. an unfortunate last name, Nipper, and then I'm going to guess with Sheraldi. Sheraldi, yeah, Calvin Sheraldi. And so, uh, man, that's a rough one because Lee Smith was one of the top closers at the time. And I think whoever was the GM in 87 just made, the, like, it was probably the wrong decision there because Lee Smith went on to lead the league on three more different occasions in saves, recording 298 saves in his 10 years after he got traded with the Cubs, while the two pitchers combined they got for him had a 14 and 23 record oh, overall. Geez. So oh, uh, investment Lord. on our uh, return value there was uh, not so great on that. They got rid of one of the best closers at the time who then went on to go play 10 more years, make numerous all-star appearances yeah. and lead the league in saves for a couple oh, of mediocre arms in the starting rotation, which God, you just got to look back and just kick yourself on that one. <laughs> I know not all trades could be winners, but that one was uh, a little more than a loser yeah. right there. Um, I'm going to start with the Theo trade that I have two first off. So um, the first that sticks out to me from the Theo Epstein era um, was trading. This is, of course, right after Aramis Ramirez left to go to Milwaukee to finish out his career. Um, but Ian Stewart was um, the third baseman they got from the Colorado Rockies. And the Cubs, in return, uh, traded probably the best bat in hindsight at the time in in terms of contact in uh, DJ LeMahieu. Um, He has done really well with Colorado. His numbers are outstanding. And you can take for whatever you want for him being in Colorado and in that hitter's ballpark and that sort of thing. But even his away stats are really, really good. Um, I think that's even one trade Theo even himself admitted like I, I that was probably a, a dumb trade on my part in hindsight. Um, but the second one um, that sticks out more to me than this one um, is uh, the trade in 2008 when they acquired Rich Harden and Chad Godin from the Oakland A's and they traded away a, uh, a prospect named Josh Donaldson. You might have heard of him. He's on the Toronto Blue Jays right now. Uh, AL MVP in 2015. All that sort of stuff. Um that one sticks out to me a lot. Now, granted, you could make the argument that if they traded away Josh Donaldson, that he probably would have came through the Cubs. But you don't know if the Cubs would have decided to move him to third base or not. Oakland ultimately decided to move him to third base because he was still a catching prospect um, when he was drafted by the Cubs. Now, at the time, I totally understand why they made this deal. They needed starting rotation depth to get into the postseason, which Rich Harden was a very good starting pitcher. I liked Rich Harden a lot. And they got bullpen help with Chad Godin, too. Um, a lot of good jokes made about Chris, uh, oh, Rich Harden there. Yeah, um, but they, <laughs> but ultimately, in hindsight, you look at this trade and you're like, oh my gosh, you know. And, well, and yeah, it, you don't know at that time that yeah. you just traded away. And it would have been star. interesting to see if they kept Donaldson, how he would have panned out to be with, um, with the Cubs, and if they still got Chris Bryant, would Chris Bryant have moved from third to left field? Yeah. You know, and then you have Donaldson at third, and well, then I think that it also would have influenced the Chris Bryant. You you think if they still had Donaldson in the organization, would they have, would they have even drafted? Oh yes, Chris I Bryant. totally would have think they would have drafted Chris Bryant, no doubt in my mind. 
Um, over the past few years, Theo has gone with the the uh, draft the best positional player available when you have such a high draft pick, and the Astros made that uh, now in hindsight awful decision to uh, take that. I think I believe it was Mark Appel number one overall, and uh, that was a little bit of a, a trade off there. Uh, well, yeah, but and then Chris Bryant turns out to be NL MVP and World Series champion, and the Astros are still trying to figure out what they want to do. Um, yeah, they're making a playoff run. Well, yeah, they're 16 games ahead, but they didn't do anything to add. I was going to say they're aiming to make a playoff run. Yeah, uh, but those are my two bad trades, uh, worst trades. Now, granted, there's probably a lot more in oh, all there's time. there's a ton, and I'm sure there's, there's, I'm there's sure. tons of arguments for the worst or what was the best. Yeah, and, and this this is a good topic if you want to eat. I know, granted, the timing of this is all in bad because this is after the trade deadline and everything, but... If you want to email us your trades, best and worst, you know, 108 Bricks Podcast at gmail.com. You or can, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just yeah. Google or just search uh, 108 Bricks Podcast. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. It's tweet all there. At us. We'll, we'll be more than happy to respond and tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't guarantee that I'll be on the, res- the responding end of that. Dylan, probably on the other end, will be gladly to roast you to no ends meet. Uh, by the way, speaking of roasting, did you see that? Uh, Addison Russell got a Pikachu and a Charizard giant plush animal from, uh, Six at Six Flags. Flags. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I don't know how the situation is there with him in terms of his home life or anything. I hope everything's going well on both fronts. But um, I, I love the fact that he's still a kid on their off day. He goes to Six Flags and wins two giant Pokemon. Not too bad now, he'd be really off. cool. Does he get the players to sign those big plush things? You know what I mean? Oh, I'm sure he will. Like get it, get it, then, he gets National League players on the Pikachu, and he gets the AL, American League um, players on the Charizard. You're just overthinking it at this point. It's a good idea, is it not? It's a great idea. That's it. It is a good idea. It's a great idea. But it, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> it's a great idea. I hope, he, I hope he at least keeps those in the locker room. Do you, th- be... do you think he plays Pokemon Go? No way. No that's way. A, that's a game we haven't heard in a long no time. No way. Remember that when that was hot for like two, three months, and then it just died. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting sued right now because they just screwed something up. But Pokemon Go? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. They oh, did you're, something, you're the video game They did guy. this thing in Chicago and it got screwed up and so now they're getting sued for it. But, wow. Okay. Well, enough about, a... enough about Pokemon. We Sorry. Get we digress. And for some weird reason, even though we're already midway through the season now, we're going to be talking a little more about the rings because a certain individual... Just, yeah, this has been news for a while. You just can... received his ring and that was Steve Bartman. And... That sort of came as a – it just sort of came out of nowhere, really. It was like no one was really talking about it. No one really cared about it. And then suddenly WGN comes out with a story that Tom Ricketts had just presented Steve Bartman with his world championship. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and so, Curtis, I want to get your thoughts on this because I have some pretty I, – I, it's sort of mixed ideas on if it was good or bad, but I want to see what you have to say first. First off, let me go on record here. I love the fact that they gave him a World Series ring. Out of all the people involved in the organization, with the exclusion of the players and front office, there's nobody in my mind that's more deserving to own a championship player caliber legitimate World Series ring than Steve Bartman. And people, some of you Cubs fans out there who may uh, be really passionate and and still don't like the guy, I'm sorry, but you really got to move on from that. There's no other way to really express how much this guy's been through in terms of words and trying to understand the feelings that he's experienced and everything. Um, he's 
been an iconic figure, not just in Cubs history, but in sports history. Like globally, there was a thirty for thirty. There's a thirty for wanna, thirty on him. Know how People dressed up for him as Halloween. His life was forever ruined and changed. And I heard reports actually that he's been to Wrigley quote like hundreds of times since since the incident. Oh, I'm sure he probably his has. look is just completely different. I'm sure he is. And whether or not you know he, and that's just unfortunate. You don't want to have to drive a guy to that extent. You know what I mean? To no. the point where he has to go completely camouflage himself and his family and everything like that. Um, it, it sucks. Uh, now, the timing of it is a little weird to me. If you ask me, I think I would have done it, like, within a week after they won the World Series. Yeah, like, in that time frame around, like, the parade and all that sort of stuff. I would have loved to have seen that happen around that time. Um, but then I, I guess the other argument is that then you'd put that hindrance – or anything, or that story on the bow as the bow on the story of the Cubs breaking that curse and winning the World Series. Um, you can make an argument, I guess, if you think other players, former players, should deserve a, a ring and whatnot. Um, the Blackhawks have done a really good job in terms of treating their un, their alumni, former players, some of who have had shady pasts. Um, same thing with the Bulls; they've done a really good job of treating their former players. The White Sox too. Um, have done a really good job of the way they handled their alumni. The Cubs are also done a pretty good job, I, I guess. But um, I, I love the fact that he got his ring. The timing of it kind of weirds me out a little bit. And if you're one of those people that you know is kind of demanding an interview or like public appearance, just leave the guy alone already. I mean, he doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't own the team or the organization anything. Um, the fact that he got it was very humbling. I don't think that he deserves anybody and owes anybody anything and gets his ring. He rides off in the sunset and this chapter is closed. That's yeah, it. That's that, that was, that's the problem I have with it really is why did it, why did it have to get a press release? Why did he have to make this statement and why did it have to be a big deal? Because it really shouldn't be. The Cubs could have just been like, okay, he got his ring. We can move on. And, that could have been done a lot earlier, but I, I think part of it. I think part of it is um, public relations slash public image. I, I think the Cubs viewed this move as a good way to um, oh, look at how good we are. No, I think it's more. I, I hate to say apology, but I hate to. But I think that's kind of the way that they viewed it as a way to just kind of we're moving on from it. You know, we're really sorry, literally really sorry for everything that you've had to experience. We hope this gift, while it may not be a, a soul, um, a, a soul gift that can make up for all the endeavors that you've had to overcome and the way how your life has tra- treated you. We really hope you look at this gift as a way of welcoming you back into the Cubs family and hoping that you are um, a part of this uh, family from here on out. And you know whether you want your privacy, we respect it and all that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I view it as the way of the Cubs just kind of I like slightly it. apologizing. I like it as a sign of apology. I just don't like the way it was handled. Um, just because I don't want to... It shouldn't be this big public affair that be like, hey, look, the Cubs apologized to him. This but is you know guy, what, though? What, it, like, what, part what, of it, it has to be. I know it has to be that just because of the Cubs' public relations and how big of a deal it was. And, and just there was no way something like that was just going to get thrown yeah. under the carpet and be like... 
here's our apology, let's move on with it. I just wish it didn't have to be just in like the middle of the Cubs season and suddenly it's like, hey, look, Bartman's getting his ring. Yeah. And then the other thing I have with is like, I don't know what tier ring he got. I he hope got he got a player type that, ring. That I think is an, is just an issue it's, right it's there. It's different design wise, but in terms of like the but diamonds the same, and stuff. So it's, if you're getting, if I'm a player at that point, it's like, wow, I just got a ring for winning the World Series. Some other dude just got a, that same valued ring as an apology gift. Like in my in my mind, well, like it sort of devalues it in a way and takes a it takes away. Like those World Series rings are but special. This, this dude's life was no changed. his life was ruined. I'm fine with him getting the ring. I just don't know why it had to be that high of a tier ring. They had multiple tiers. He deserves it, at least in my opinion. I, in my opinion, I, I think, he, think deserves, he deserves that. Tier in my of a opinion, ring. I don't think he deserves that that large of a ring. I think he deserves the ring. I think he deserves the apology. If I'm, I just think like. The player ring, that's something special. That tier of a ring, that's something special that should be reserved only for the players who took part in that season, who who had a big role in winning the World Series. And now all of a sudden that same tier ring is being used in a pol- as an apology gift. But you got no, nothing against Bartman, nothing against anyone else. It's just like he deserves it. I just don't think that 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 tier should be offered to but him. The thing is though is that the Cubs didn't have any sort of a time frame to give this guy an apology, especially they could have done it right away after oh, I'm sure it they ended. Had that plan from the beginning, and I I don't know if they did or not from the beginning. But if they had, but now that they've won the World Series and everything is fine, and Cubs fans can relax that they've won a championship and everything for 108 years. Hey, that goes with our podcasting. But regardless, I just feel like the Cubs fans, like at this point, like at least for me, like I just don't care at that point anymore. Like we knew it was a mistake. We knew like the fact that the like a new like the a newspaper went out and printed his where he worked and printed where he lived like we overreacted to that situation like if anything us fans owe him more of an apology than the Cubs organization does. Well, that that also is accurate, but I would say that the the fact that the organization didn't do anything about you know whether a public apology on behalf of the way that the fans treated him or any sort of that stuff the Cubs didn't do anything of that. Now I. I could be wrong. Maybe they did at the time. Maybe they did release a, a small statement or something like that, but that's not enough. Releasing just a statement to the media isn't enough. I view it as as a great way to just kind of wrap it and make the final chapter and move on. I think for him, cause just because he respected the privacy so much, I just wish, I think if he could have gotten that gift from the Cubs. It could have stayed down low, and he could have just con- continued on living his life because I think that's all he wants to do at this point is just continue on well, living his Well, but that's what life. he released in a and statement. That's, yeah, that's why he released a statement. And so just the timing of it was weird. The the, the whole tier ring was it uh, like that whole ordeal was weird. It, it just came out of nowhere, really, and it could have been something that was timed a little bit better. It seemed like it was just a PR move almost by the Cubs at the same time. Like, yeah, I think, was, was I think the weird... timing of it is what is throwing people off because it was literally on the so trade late. deadline. Like, it was on that Monday morning when they announced it or whatever. I'm surprised they didn't just come back and say, you know what, let's do it, like, right when they won. You know, they, they just decided now to get it. Um in terms of the tier stuff, I think he deserves the the player tier just because of all the harassment, the abuse, the who knows if he had to go th- through therapy or not for it. For all of that sort of stuff, I think it's worth a, a, a player tier, if not an executive tier type of caliber World Series ring. And the fact that they got it customized for him in a different thing compared to the players. Here's an interesting question. Which is going to be more valuable 20 years from now? A Chris Bryant World Series ring 
an Anthony Rizzo World Series ring or a Steve Bartman World Series ring? That Bartman World Series ring, probably. You think so? I think so. Because you know there's going to be collectors who could, who are going to care so much more about that than any other That's player's fair. ring. Yeah. Like, obviously, a, like let's say a like Chris Bryant goes on to make the haul or something like that, then obviously it's going to be worth more. But I think... It maybe in the short haul Bartman ring may be worth more just because of all the history. Okay, well then and let's let's change it. it. Let's let's say both Rizzo and, and Bryant make it into the Hall of Fame. Their 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 ring's gonna be worth more than Steve Bartman's. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, also remember they have to offer that to the Cubs for a dollar first. I know, but I'm just <laughs> hypothetically speaking. That's, that's another thing that just annoys me. Anyways, so what you're about to hear right now is a couple of highlights. We're gonna do our over and underachieving um, of the week and uh, weeks, I guess you could say. Um, Dylan's got his. I've got mine. You're going to hear some highlights. We're going to talk about those, what we picked, coming up right here on the 108 Bricks podcast. Ben Intendi swings and misses. Strike three on a changeup. OG Uihara works one, two, three. 2-2 two, two pitch. Swing and a miss on a breaking ball in the dirt for strike three. Edwards with a 2-2. Two, two. Called strike three. Boy, Carl has been terrific. He's faced six batters. And he has struck out five. So right there, there was some C.J. Edwards highlights for you. And if you couldn't tell already, he's my pick for the overperforming player of the week. On top of what seemed like a very lights-out performance from the Cubs' bullpen, I picked out C.J. Edwards specifically just because of his rebound back from his poor performance that we saw in the Cardinals series in that tragic eighth inning where they put up nine runs. A lot of people were criticizing Edwards above the other relievers just because of how many walks he was putting up there. And we saw that a little bit of a problem in the next few games where he was put in where he was throwing a lot of balls, guys were getting put on base. And then he comes into the Milwaukee series and the series before that and pitches lights out. And yeah. he's proved to be, yet again, a very important part of that sort of middle reliever role in the Cubs' bullpen who's able to come in around the sixth inning, the seventh inning, pitch lights out baseball, keep him to zero runs, and do what he needs to do to get the outs. And I also have to credit um, Chris Basio as well as Joe Madden for coaching him correctly because – we saw earlier on, especially in in the later on in that Cardinal series, CJ took the mound again. And as soon as he walked that first guy, Madden came out and took him out of the game, which I see as a very key point in his turnaround. Because if he starts walking more guys and giving up another run, especially after that breakdown in that Cardinals game, he could we could start seeing confidence issues. Yeah. And so as soon as he started seeing it again, he was having none of it. He took CJ out of the game, said he was doing fine. He went back to working with Basio. Basio fixed what needed to be fixed, and suddenly uh, we see Edwards come out again and start pitching lights out baseball. Yep. And it was a big turnaround for him, and that's why I pick him as – it's easy. You could almost give it to the whole pole, Ben, which I think that's what you may be yeah. doing. I'll, I'll let you explain more about that later. But I pick him as one of the, the key star performers of that bullpen to be overperforming this week. Nice. Well, <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. CJ Edwards has been really good. Um, mine is actually just kind of the bullpen as a whole. Um, we saw it in the Milwaukee series. The Cubs played very well and that pitched very well, too, in that series. Um, the bullpen this whole season has been pretty, pretty good, <laughs> to say the least. And now that they add Justin Wilson and 
um, along with uh, lefties Brian Dunsing and uh, Mike Montgomery. Um, those guys in general are going to be really helpful for this team down the road. Um, but I think in just as a bullpen unit as a whole, they've been really good in adding top arms. Um, I think they're going to be continuing to pitch really well. Um, nothing much to really add except like everybody's made pretty decent adjustments. The only one that's been kind of dragging the bullpen down slightly um, as of late, but I, I think he's starting to finally turn around, was uh, Koji Uhara. He had a good outing against the Brewers. Um, he did, and that's why I think he's he's finally starting to turn it around. Um, Justin Grimm, too, he had a 1-2-3 inning uh, against the Brewers. He was pitching pretty good. Um, so the bullpen as a whole has been pretty confident. And um, Joe's been doing a lot lately where his starters have been going five, six, seven innings, and the bullpen's come in and finished it out. Um, nobody's really gone the distance yet, um, which is not only good to see um, because that means Joe's at the same time while he's – bringing out starters early they're you know looking at it and saying we're going to rest you up until the postseason um he also has that trust in the bullpen to go and the rest four three two innings to close it out and get the win for the team and wade davis has been lights out as well um not much more you can you can say there well i guess that means we move on to our underperforming yes. players which there's also it's it's sort of funny because we go to the opposite side of the spectrum yeah, you, of baseball. Yeah, you picked a player, is, I picked a group. Is we, this group is you pick well, a group, I pick, I pick a player. Exactly. And we also <laughs> switch from pitching over to hitting. Um, I, I went with just the Cubs hitting in general, and I, I guess I could, it's a little broad, and I want to get a little more specific on this, is I want to look at the strikeouts specifically. There was two games in particular. The last game against the White Sox where I think it was um, – I forgot who uh, they, uh, they were they against. Out a ton. <laughs> they were against Rondon, and yeah. he had I think it was eleven strikeouts through in, four innings. Through four innings, so eleven Carlos of Rodan. the twelve strikeouts, Carlos Rondon struck out twelve of uh, eleven of them. Oy. And he proceeded Ugh. to get the loss that game yeah. as well. And then uh, the extra inning game against the Brewers on Saturday, where they won two to one, fifteen strikeouts through nine innings of play. Yeah. And I had tweeted out during that game is it's really hard to win a baseball game when you strike out 15 times. And that's been a really big problem for the Cubs. And I think yeah. one of the key things, at least what I've been seeing, is especially against the Brewers, is they were falling behind a lot in counts. And uh, there's one player specifically, you'll be talking about him in a bit, yeah. which is Javi Baez. He had a five strikeout game. He's been striking out a lot. A lot of the times they're not swinging at that first pitch. And I think teams are sort of adjusting to it. They've been falling behind 0-1 in a lot of counts, so they're already at a disadvantage. And then the count just doesn't work for them. And we've been seeing there's a few players who've been doing really well. Anthony Rizzo, for one. Chris Bryant is another guy. As well as um, John Jay, who've all been really patient in their counts. They've been pulling a lot of walks and getting on base. But yeah. a lot of other players have been swinging at bad pitches, getting behind 0-1, getting behind 0-2, being put in a lot of bad at-bats. And it's really difficult for them to come from behind on that. And that's why we're seeing a lot more strikeouts. And it's something that's going to bite them in the future if teams are adjusting to them it's going to be time for the cubs to adjust back getting more aggressive at the plate i don't know what's going to have to happen to fix that maybe it's a lineup issue guys aren't yeah it's hard it's hard to say the cubs um in this series on let's just look at friday for example um on friday against the brewers they were one for 11 with runners in scoring position um they're last in the national league with a 216 batting average in such situations 
Um, according to CSN Chicago's um, Tony Andraki, um, only the Oakland A's are worse with a 214 batting average entering um, or actually coming out of this past weekend. Um, the league average with runners in scoring position is 256. Um, so the Cubs are struggling to drive in guys, and, and Madden responded with that. Um, one of the things that he did was uh, my worst, or not worst, excuse me, underachieving player was uh, Javi Baez. The one thing the, he did achieve, he got the uh, the coveted uh, platinum sombrero. So uh, <laughs> if you uh, go on the Reddit, they keep track, the baseball subreddit. Yeah. They keep track of who gets a golden sombrero, which is striking out four times in one game. And then what they call the platinum sombrero, which Javi Baez achieved. Five. Five strikeouts in one game. Yeah. So that's a... So with the poppers, yeah. yay! <laughs> Get the confetti out, the streamers. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, Baez, he's such a talented player. Um, a lot of talent there. But, you know, he hasn't done well against... Uh, pitching this year and he struck like we said he struck out five times well that was starting to trend when we saw in the world series he he just can't lay off those balls in the dirt and for whatever reason i don't know what it is but he yeah you're right you're absolutely right he can't lay off the balls in the dirt um i don't know what the the rest of the situation is going to be with him um but joe madden responded when after that and benched him uh essentially putting zobrist at second and put uh Happened center, or maybe it might have been Almora in center. I frequently or vaguely recall who was in center field that game. Uh, but he responded by benching Baez, and the lineup itself looked a lot different than years past. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do with him going forward. Um, with the offense as a whole going forward, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, they just got hit with guys in scoring position. I mean, what else can you really say? Yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah no like no but I mean the, no I know what you're saying yeah there's nothing else to really there's, there's talk about really there else to say is you gotta you gotta cut back on the strikeouts you gotta start getting more guys on base their um their batting average with one runners in scoring position has been atrocious there was numerous times where they've had guys on second and third or bases loaded with one out with two outs and guys have been striking out or flying out with two outs and it's a lo- there's been a lot of missed opportunities yeah and. It's. I think it's. We're gonna see it the most. We saw it a little bit with Milwaukee, who was on a little bit of a town downswing, but they were still playing the Cubs close. We're gonna see it a lot more with the Diamondbacks, who are a good baseball team, and a lot more with the Nationals, who are an even better baseball team. Yeah. Hopefully, we see the Cubs step up a little more and win these games because it's gonna be a tough schedule for them before they go into that little bit of an ease where we play where they play a lot more of uh, under five hundred teams. So I think that's gonna be it though for this week on the podcast we got through a lot of stuff um again if you want to follow us on twitter or facebook just search 108 bricks podcast 108 those three numbers there bricks podcast uh, as well as you can follow me or curtis i think you are at curtis k underscore radio yes that's correct and i am hi underscore i'm underscore buck i'd like to thank you guys for listening this week and be sure to tune in to the next episode a couple weeks from now thanks for listening guys